The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. All right, well, Revelation chapter number 3 tonight, Revelation 3, and uh, let's look at verse number 7. Would you stand for a moment as we read verses 7 through 13? Let's give respect to the Word of God this evening, and if you're not able to, that, that's fine. Uh, stand in your heart. Uh, verse number 7, Revelation chapter number 3, the Bible says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength. How many of you are with the, uh, the church there? A little strength, right? Thou hast a little strength. And hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I, will also, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly, hold fast that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. He that overcometh, Will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go, uh, go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name uh, which is in is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's read that last verse together again and out loud. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's be seated and pray. Father, thank you for, again, the opportunity to open up your word. We pray that this would be effective in our hearts. Lord, give us listening ears, spiritual ears. Lord, you told us that if we would have an ear, if we'd have a spiritual ear, that we were to hear this. And so we want to, because we want to follow you, and so help us tonight uh, quiet our hearts from distraction, and may we receive what would be beneficial to walking with you this week, and for your glory we pray this, amen. The city of Philadelphia is about 28 miles southeast of Sardis, and we've dealt with the, the city of Sardis that had a name, but they were dead, they didn't have a reputation, they had a, a church sign out in front but they really didn't have a reputation in town that, uh, of life. It was a dead church. It was a formal church. And 28 miles southeast of that church is this church of Philadelphia. It's located in an area noted for its agriculture. Uh, it was affiliated with earthquakes, which destroyed the city uh, several times. So it wasn't exactly the, uh, the greatest place in the world to live. And uh, most recently, uh, according to this, uh, about 37 A.D., when it came uh, under the, an earthquake and was destroyed, the city was named for its king. It, was, uh, it did not get its name from its reputation as much as it did 
uh, from its king. In fact, I think we can think about uh, the Philadelphia in our area, and the word Philadelphia has the idea of brotherly love, and it's used uh, seven times in Scripture. Here it's attached to the city, but it was given uh, to them um, because of their, their king, uh, Philadelphus, Atlas Philadelphus, who had built it. And uh, it's similar to the Greek word Philadelphia, meaning brotherly, brotherly love. It's only used here in, uh, in this passage for the city itself here uh, in the Bible. But the Christian testimony in that city really continues on even, even to this day. The impact of, of Christianity there uh, impacted that, that city for years and years and years. And that's an amazing thing how the, the Bible tells us, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. And I wonder how that church uh, impacted that city. Uh, they had to have done that through through love, and so it's an interesting, interesting uh, uh, church, an interesting city. But what's kind of interesting when we come to this church, similar to Thyatira, that was a very persecuted church. This church does not have anything that God says against them. In fact, look at it with me. Maybe you noticed while we we read that verse number eight. I know thy works, and then he just goes on to commend them and uh, encourage them and strengthen them. So if there's a church that we want to be like, it's like Philadelphia. It's a church that was a faithful church. And we're going to notice, first of all, that they served a faithful Lord. Christ himself being their faithful founder in verse number 7, he presents himself as he does to every church. He reveals himself in a particular way. He's revealing a part of himself to this church that they need to understand that will motivate them to continue on for him in that city to be a light and a witness. And what he reveals to them, first of all, is his character. Notice in verse number seven, and the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, these things uh, saith he that is, notice, holy, he that is true. And I want you to notice how that our Savior is faithful in his character and reveals himself to this church there in Philadelphia as one who is faithful in his character. I like the thought of holiness. I like, I like thinking about my God being a holy God. We, uh, we realize that we're not holy and we struggle and we have, we have our ups and downs. We have our, our, our besetting sins. We struggle with that. But our God is revealed to us as holy and Jesus reveals himself to the church and yes, to us as a church as the one who is holy. And think about that. The one who is devoid of any evil no evil now we think about one another and we we can say well that's a good person but we cannot say about that person that person is devoid of any evil but we can say that about our lord jesus christ he is the holy one over and over in the scriptures we find him demonstrating that and saying that to us even throughout the gospels five times he is called the holy one and one that sticks out to me most interestingly is in Mark 1 and verse number 23 when an evil spirit that Jesus was about to cast out actually calls Jesus we know thou art the holy one and they know who Jesus is they know his character and though they might slam him and they might they might slander him Jesus Christ is the holy one Hebrews 4 and verse number 15 it tells them that he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin completely devoid of any evil and the Bible tells us this is our Savior. 
This is the founder of the church. He's faithful in his holiness, and we ought to be thankful for that. But he's also faithful in his truthfulness. The Bible says in John 1 and verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Now, what did that glory look like? Full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. So he's, he is devoid of any evil, but what is he full of? Full of truth. And how we can be thankful tonight that our Savior is full of truth. As the founder of the church, as the one who is to have preeminence in this place, he is one that is full of truth. Unlike any other, he can, it can be said of him, he is full of truth. Psalm 31 and verse number 5 says, Into thy hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Truth. Do you know the reason you can trust God tonight? Because he's a God of truth. He's a God of truth, and he's revealed that to you even this evening, that he is the one who has all authority over the church, is revealing to us that he is full of truth tonight. And he wanted Philadelphia to know who is very faithful in their activity. He wanted to know, I'm holy, I'm devoid of evil, I'm truthful, I'm actually full of truth. I am complete truth. In fact, he's a God of truth. These traits are joined together in the old testament deuteronomy 32 and verse number four when the bible tells us he is a rock his work is perfect aren't you thankful for that for all of his ways are judgment they're discerning a god of truth and without iniquity just and right is he a god of truth and without iniquity a god that's full of truth and completely devoid of evil that's our god that's who you serve tonight you might be upset at your boss you might be upset at your spouse. You might be upset at someone else in your life. But you understand they have, they have their struggles. They're not, they're not devoid of any evil. They have their struggles. They have sin that they struggle with and they need to have victory over. But you serve a God tonight that is completely holy. He's devoid of any evil. He will always tell you the truth. He will always deal with you according to truth. Jesus wants us to see him both as the holy and true one. Now think about this. I cannot be omnipresent. You can't either. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful about that? You know, in, in some ways, social media has made us a little bit on, omnipresent. It, it's, it's hinted at that, and it's put us in multiple places at once, and we can scroll through something and be in California, and we can be in, in Canada, and we can be across the ocean, and we can experience highs and lows very, very quickly. And by the way, we weren't designed for that. Our brains can't handle all that. And so, uh, sometimes that's why some of the depression and the struggle comes in as, as we imbibe a lot of that. But God is omnipresent. That's a non-communicable attribute. Uh, he never intended for us to pick that attribute up. That's not uh, available to us. But you know what is a communicable attribute? His holiness. I can grow in my holiness before him. That's why he revealed that to me. He wants me to grow in holiness. Uh, I can grow in truthfulness, being full of truth. That's a communicable attribute. He wants us to, to gain that. He wants us to grow in that. The Bible tells us, 1 Peter 1, verse 15, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, in all manner of your lifestyle. Be holy, be separate from sin. Be morally pure in your life, in every area of your conduct, not just when you're in church, not when you're around folks that, that would hold you to account, but all the time because God is always watching. Be holy, for it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. The Bible says, Ephesians 4 and verse number 25, Wherefore, put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. 
And so God wants me to grow in my holiness. God wants me to grow in my truthfulness. He wants me to have truth in the inward parts as well in my, my, my public communications. He wants me to be holy and true. He wants us to grow in that, and that's why he's presented this to the church of Philadelphia. Continue on. Continue on. Keep, keep focusing on me. Keep learning from me. Keep growing in these areas. Jesus is faithful in his character, but I want you to notice he's faithful in his control because what is said to us in the end of verse number seven, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. What is going on here? What is Jesus demonstrating to these folks? What is he saying to them? This is a reference from Isaiah 22 and verse number 22. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. So he shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut, and none shall open. The open door which the Jewish synagogue and the pagan cults were powerless to shut is the God-given opportunity to preach on Christ to everyone who will hear it. Jesus himself had the power to open up and give that opportunity. Uh, what was being demonstrated here was that Jesus had all authority, that Jesus had sovereign rule. He had the ability uh, to open up doors that that no man, even his enemies, could not, uh, could not shut. And I think about our theme passage for this year, Matthew 16, 18, and how that he said, and the, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. They're not going to stop it. Even death itself is not going to stop it. But do you remember a little bit later on in that passage of Scripture, he told his disciples, I give unto you the keys, right? I give unto you the stewardship. He had authority. He has, he has possession of those. He has authority. A little later on, I, I want you to realize as we look at Isaiah 22 and verse 22, the context here was a promise made to Eliakim, the servant of Hezekiah. Uh, the key was the key to the national treasury. Uh, really, it was figuratively an idea of, of having the, the power of the, the government or the control of the government. Eliakim being a type of the Lord Jesus Christ as the Messiah uh, asserts this fact or teaches us this fact that Jesus Christ has all control over the government economy throughout all the world. Yes, he has the power over the gospel. He has authority over that. He's given us and he's opened up the way, the opportunity for us to preach that. No one can shut that door, but he also has all authority in our world today. And friends, I want you to think about something. An unholy and deceitful person with all, with all authority is an incredibly scary individual. Think about that. Someone who is wicked and cannot tell the truth and has great power is a scary individual. But tonight, we can be comforted with the fact that Jesus says, I am holy, I am truthful, and I have all power. I find comfort in that. That's my Savior. That's the leader of this church. That's the, the one who is shepherding my soul and your soul as well. We can find great comfort in that. And as he reveals himself to the church, listen, we might be surrounded with people who have no, no scruples, no morals, and speak uh, every time they open up their mouth, they lie, and say that they have all sorts of authority. And that might scare our hearts, but just let's rest assured there's one in heaven who has absolute all authority, and he is holy, and he is truthful. And I thank the Lord for that tonight, and I thank, I'm thank him for reminding of us of that this evening. So he presented himself to the church this way. But notice the response of the church was that they were holy, or what Jesus, uh, what Jesus was saying to them is, listen, I am, I've been faithful, I've, I've, I, I'm faithful in my character, I'm faithful in my control, but notice how he says in verse number 10, I know thy works, 
and how it was kept and has not denied. I'm skipping over a few parts in there. I want to make a point here. Do you know that this church was receiving this letter as one who were receiving great commendation from the Lord, the faithful Savior, the faithful founder of the church, and he's saying, listen, I'm, I've noticed that you've been faithful too. Now, where did they learn that? Keeping their eyes on Jesus. Friends, I've, we've talked a lot about Hebrews chapter number 12 and verses 1 and 2. The Bible tells us to set aside any sin and, and weights that do, uh, does so easily beset us and run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You know where faithfulness comes from? When we keep our eyes on Jesus. When we look at him, not at everyone else, not all the wrongs that are going on, but keeping our eyes on him. Where did this church learn to be faithful? They kept their eyes on him. And so Jesus commends them in their works. I know thy works. Think about that again tonight. Jesus knows your ministry activity. He knows your activity throughout life. He knows all about it. And I want us to notice Jesus highlights the fact that they were faithful to his word. They were faithful to his word. Look at verse number eight. For thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word. And hast kept my word. He, not, he highlights the fact that they... They are limited in their strength. How many of you would say with the Church of Philadelphia, I am limited in my strength? I'm limited in spiritual strength. Yeah, sure are. Sure are. And the quicker we come to realizing that and, uh, and, and grabbing hold of that, the better off we are in our, uh, in our Christian journey. He says, you have a little strength. I, I know that works. I know that you have a little strength. You're limited in this. But do you know what you've done? You've done what every believer can do. You've upheld my word. You have stood by my word. You didn't get tossed and turned by, uh, 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 tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You didn't get pushed off the, the firm ground of faith. You've contended for, the, uh, contended for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. You have kept my word. You have observed it. You have conformed your, notice here the word that's kept is to conform one's activity or actions into so they've, they've taken the word of God. They w- haven't been conformed by the world in uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse number two, but they've been transformed by the renewing of their mind. They've taken their behavior and they've looked at the word of God. And you know what? That doesn't please the Lord. I'll do, uh, I won't do that anymore. They've taken their behavior, uh, uh, lined it up with the word of God. Well, this is what God wants me to do, so I will do this. They've conformed their behavior to the word of God. And I find here this is a great thing. You and I can be faithful to, the, on the, to Christ's word just like they were. We can be. This week we have the opportunity to be just like the church at Philadelphia and be faithful to the word of God. And they upheld it. And what's the great thing about that is they were upholding, though they had limited strength, they were upholding what was extremely powerful and that is the word of god people cannot argue with a life that's lived according to the word of god they might not like it they might not want to be near you (laughs) they might want to shun you they might want to cancel you but the fact is there is great respect that can come from living a life uh, according to the word of god and i find in jeremiah 23 and verse number 29 is not my word like a fire saith the lord and like a hammer that breaketh a rock in pieces he says listen the word of god is extremely powerful the word of god is unbreakable and they had kept it they had conformed their lives to it we find in hebrews 4 and verse number 12 the word of god is quick it's alive and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword to this word they had conformed their life in first timothy 3 15 
But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Now notice, the pillar and the ground of truth. To this word, to this truth, they had conformed their living to. What an amazing thing that was going on there in Philadelphia as these believers who had little strength and Jesus knew it and wanted them to know it. You have limited power, but you've attached yourself. You've conformed your life to that which is all-powerful. The Bible says in Romans 1 and verse number 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. We can do well this, on this week by conforming our lives to this. We can be faithful to the word of Christ just like they were back in Philadelphia and find the commendation of our Lord as we do that. We may have little strength, but we are privileged to lift up to be the pillar and the ground of truth for the word of God in this community and in our families and in our workplaces and everywhere we go to lift up that powerful word like they did, that powerful word that is the power of God to salvation and, yes, even our sanctification. And that's what they did. They kept on the word. They were faithful to Christ's word, but they were faithful to Christ's name. Look at verse number 8. And hast not denied my name. Now, in this passage of Scripture, I think we... We caught the fact that there was some satanic worship that was going on in that city. There were those of the synagogue of, uh, of Satan, those, were, those that had gotten off into uh, very, very wicked worship. And Christ says, you've not denied my name. Even in the face of that opposition, that incredible uh, spiritual warfare that you were experiencing there in the city, when they come up against you and they say things, they, they present themselves as something they're not. They lie. They're not truthful. In the face of all that incredible spiritual opposition, you've not denied my name. Do you know this is the same word that Jesus uses over in John 13, verse 38, when he told Peter, listen, before the, cro on the cock crows thrice, you're going to deny my name. You're going to deny my name. What is it? It's a disavow. It's the disavow uh, one. It's the deny to, to refuse to recognize, to refuse to acknowledge. So here's how this went about in town there in Philadelphia. As they went to work, and people said, oh, you're, you're part of those Jesus followers. Yes, I am, praise God. Uh, you're, you're one who is a part of the way. Y yes, I am. Would you like to join with me? And they, they delighted in lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. They were not ashamed of the name of Jesus Christ. And friends, we cannot be in this day either. Oh, how Jesus' name needs to be lifted up. I met with one of the candidates that, that, uh, that is running for uh, mayor here in, uh, in Kettering. And I, one of the questions I asked him, if you were to be mayor and we get, uh, get someone saying, hey, you can't pray in Jesus' name in town anymore publicly, are you going to back that? Or are you going to allow us to pray in Jesus' name? I'm interested in, uh, in that thing. Is it something um, that's going to be pushed, uh, uh, um, pushed back on? Or is this something you're going to allow? And so uh, they were faithful to lift up the name of Jesus even in the public square. They didn't deny it. They didn't deny it. And there's all sorts of satanic pressure even in our day to kind of you know, shield our identity. You know, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm not, just not going to be real public with it. Oh, we need to be so public with it. We need a delight in standing with the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we lean on the same grace that God gave them in this church and in that day. May we lean on His grace to be public, to, to honor His Word, to keep His Word, to conform our lives to His Word, and to stand boldly with His name. 
oh, that God would help us. But I want you to notice, as they were faithful, Jesus was found faithful. Because notice in verse 8, 9, and, and 10, notice how they experienced the faithfulness of our Christ. In verse 8, he says, Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. Well, why did Jesus do that for them? Uh, we see there in verse number 8, he explains why he opened, gave them an open door. He, he says, you have little strength, and you've kept my word, and you've not denied my name, and for that reason, I've given you an open door. Because you've been faithful to me, I've given you an opportunity, and he, they experienced the faithfulness of Christ as he would give them an open door, specifically for the gospel. Jesus had all, all power, and by the way, the open doors that we need into new kids for the bus ministry and more, t- uh, more teenagers to, to, to come into this church, uh, the open doors for more people to come to Christ, those open doors are given to us by the Lord. We need to pray the Lord of the harvest. We need to ask Him for opportunities. This week, before you go out into your daily business, we need to be asking, Lord, lead me to the person that you want me to speak to. Give me open doors. Give me opportunities. I was coming back through Atlanta I had about a three-hour layover in Atlanta, and uh, there, the, the stores were just now opening up in the airport, so everything's kind of closed off, and uh, even the coffee shop in the airport was closed. It only opened up for a little bit. I mean, how sad, all right? How sad. But it, it, uh, the store uh, there with the, uh, you know, the packaged salads in their, their little refrigerator had just opened up the day before, and they were, they, they were still stocking shelves. But the young lady in there, uh, uh, she was in there uh, running the store all on her own, and I had time, and I had a done book with me, and, and I got struck up a conversation, and uh, it's particularly just about, uh, uh, about her experience in life, uh, in race, and, and different things, her experience. We got into a great conversation, and really was just, it was a, th- a thrilling conversation. Well, I left her with a book and shared the gospel with her a little bit, and encouraged her to, um, to reach out after she, uh, she has read it. And you know what? God gives those open doors. God does that. And I, I was bemoaning. In fact, I woke up the other, the, other mor- uh, the other morning. I don't travel a lot, so it's kind of a, a, a new thing to me, but on my way to the airport, uh, they called me and says, hey, you have a direct, uh, we'd like to give you a direct flight to Washington, D.C. It was 50 minutes. I was there. I was uh, there way ahead of time, and it was a real blessing. And I was like, Lord, would you give me another 50-minute flight? I don't want to be in the airport all day. <laughs> I, and, and would you give me another? He didn't. And in the back of my mind, I was like, well, what's the Lord going to do? And I think it was for that, that young lady. Uh, I, I don't know, but it, it, that seemed to be the opportunity. But God's the one that opens up the source. I can't manufacture that. You can't manufacture that. You can't manufacture being able to give the gospel to a, to a family member. You can't open up the doors and you know, make the heart uh, acceptable to that in those moments. God does that. And Christ would faithfully give them an open door here in this city as they were faithful to him. Look, he says, behold, I've set before thee. I've given you this opportunity. By the way, they would have to walk through this new open door that, um, that Christ had given. And no man's going to shut it. This open door for the gospel. Acts 18 and verse number 9. The Lord spake to Paul in a vision, Be not afraid, hold not thy peace. He's in Corinth, for I am with thee. No man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in, the, in this city. That's something only God can do. You know, I don't know where the open doors are for this summer of ministry. 
I don't know where the teenagers are for when we go to uh, Cola Clash. I don't know where the young families are, but God does. You don't know where they are, but God does. May we have a desire to be faithful to the Lord no matter what and trust Him to open up the doors like He did for, for these folks. Too often, we're tempted to become like the world and tempted to blend in or maybe even compromise in order to gain an open door. You know, many churches are right in that, in that thought process. Well, if I do this, if I lower the standard, if I change some of my values, we'll gain an opportunity to give the gospel, right? But you know, Christ can give us far greater open doors as we're faithful to him than we can gain through compromise. Far greater. And may we be willing always to trust the Lord for open doors and pray for it. Friends, I'm, I'm convicted personally about this. Uh, how often do we not receive and see God work because we don't pray? We don't ask God for it. We don't go into the day asking him for the open door. And so we don't see an open door. Are you with me on that? I, I, I get so convicted about that. And Lord, forgive me for not looking for those open doors and having the eyes open and being faithful to you in that way. But notice, they wouldn't just receive this open door from Christ and experience his faithfulness in that way. They would also experience his faithfulness in seeing their enemies humbled. And you say, well, that sounds, that sounds kind of uh, self-aggrandizing. But look in verse number 9. He says, behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I'll make them come and worship before thy feet. Before we think, well, he's going to have them worshiping an, another man. That's not the uh, idea, uh, idea here. There's a humility that is, is going to come over the enemies of the church of, of Philadelphia and their enemies have been opposing them and going up against them. Jesus says, they're going to they're actually bow before you. Uh, they're going to topple before you. They're going to be humi uh, humiliated before you. There's going to be uh, my truth stands and their error falls. And I want us to realize the Bible never would, have, uh, never would have the worshiping of other individuals. The Bible says that only Jesus Christ is, uh, is to be worshipped. Philippians 2 and verse number 10. He is the one the whole wor world will bow before. But in, his, in this city, Jesus says, you know what? They're going, to, they're going to bow down. They're going to be humbled before you as you continue to be faithful to me. Sometimes we get so annoyed at the world and we wonder, when, when is Jesus going to triumph? Jesus will in his time, he will bring triumph. He will bring victory. The enemies of God will not stand forever. I've always been intrigued by 2 Timothy chapter 3. In fact, turn over there with me. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Timothy, as a young preacher, as a, a, a mentoree of Paul, would no doubt struggle when the enemies of Christ would triumph and have seeming triumphs there in Ephesus. But Paul reminded him of some things that were important. He says in 2 Timothy 3 and verse number 1, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now read verse 2 with me. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. All right? Think about that. The very first thing that's going to indicate perilous times is, is people will love themselves and not others. Do you see that today? People love themselves and not others. Notice as I read on, they're going to be covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. That's how someone can toss a baby in a trash can right? That's unnatural affection. 
I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. Uh, they go on, uh, they're truce breakers. They can't keep the truth. They're false accusers. They slander. They're incontinent. They don't have any, any control. They're fierce, fierce. Throwing chemicals in people's faces. That's fierce. Despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. Uh, I think we can call that in our day virtue signaling. Uh, the moral, like the moral high ground as defined by culture rather than the word of God. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, their own desires, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, which is perfectly possible today with the expansion of, of the internet. Endless knowledge that people can be seeking after but never come to the knowledge of the truth. How is it that people can go for years and years seeking after knowledge but not come to the knowledge of the truth? Well, it's, it's now, in our day. Now, notice what he gives as an illustration. Now, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. And here's what I want you to notice. But, if I did not have verse number nine and I was Timothy in that city, I'd be thinking, well, this is, this is kind of a bum job. You know, where, where's, the, where's the success here? But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be made manifest unto all men as theirs also was. Do you know there's charlatans in the ministry today? Right? There's charlatans who pastor very large churches. And do you know what? Something that gave me courage and confidence years ago, I don't have to, I don't have to set them right. We just have to be faithful to the Lord, and I can trust that the Lord will make their folly, their foolishness, openly manifest in front of the world. And Jesus can humble those that are against him. Do you believe that tonight? Do you see what he's telling this church? Do you see what an encouragement that is? So you don't have, we don't have to be concerned with um, bringing down everyone. Jesus can take care of that on his own. Jesus has the power to do that, and he can do it in a lot better way than we can. A lot better way. And by the way, that consumes a ton of spiritual energy to be focused on trying to bring people down. Let's just be focused on putting Jesus up and upholding them in our society. And so their folly would proceed no further. What an encouragement it must have been for Timothy to hear about that from the Apostle Paul. From all the experience and all the different uh, uh, events that he had been through, for, uh, for Timothy to hear from the Apostle Paul saying, listen, don't worry about them. God will take care of them. And so he tells the church of Philadelphia, listen, I, I'm, gonna, I'm going to reward you and I'm going to show my faithfulness to you by taking those that spiritually oppose you and I will make them even to come to a point of humility bowing down before you and recognizing that you are right and you are standing for truth. We can't do that on our own. And we should not seek that on our own. We leave that in Jesus' hands. That's an, that is a demonstration of his faithfulness. But notice, he'd also, they'd also experienced the faithfulness of Christ that he would keep them from the coming judgment. In Revelation 3 and verse number 10, because thou hast kept the word of my patience. Thou hast kept my word. You, you have stood by my word. You conformed your life to it. I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world 
to try them that dwell upon the earth. This verse is widely believed, and I believe as well, that it's referring to the, uh, to, the, uh, to the tribulation, the temptation that will come upon all the world, the judgment of God upon all the world. And I also believe that he's given a promise to his church, yes, to Philadelphia, but to us as his church, as his body, that he is going to keep us from the hour of temptation. I am very thankful for that. There are other verses to, to um, support that, and I want you to write, uh, write them down. Uh, just think about this. Revelation 6 and verse number 17 talks about the great day of his wrath is come. Who shall be able to stand against it? I'm thankful that we will not have to experience that. Daniel 9 and verse 27 talks about the, the Antichrist and how he's going to sign a covenant midway. He's going to breach that covenant, and this is going to be a great day of wrath that comes against uh, a, a judgment that comes against the whole world. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 9, for God hath not appointed us to wrath. Did you hear that? God has not appointed us to wrath. You seem real excited about that. Listen, what's, what's the... What's the stat right now that they, they say that we're told uh, is COVID deaths in America? What, 560 is what we're told. Does anyone know what it is in the world? Three million. How many are there in the world? How many? Can you think that in the tribulation, when we start talking about a third of the world's population dying, This doesn't even register. I'm not belittling it. I'm just saying the hour of temptation that is to come upon the whole world is nothing we want to be around for. And when I look into the Word of God and I see that He says, I'm not appointed under wrath, I give praise to Jesus Christ right there. I am not appointed under wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse number 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. I'm giving you a little bit of a timeline. We have the Old Testament coming into the, the New Testament, uh, uh, divided by a, a time of, of silence when God was not speaking. The word was not going forth. He was not revealing himself. But it broke open as we come into Matthew with the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is on earth for some 33 years, going about uh, his life, living a perfect life for you and for me. He ministers for three years and then goes to the cross. He dies. He's in the grave three days and three nights. He rises again. He's on earth 40 days, and then he goes back to heaven. Before he goes, he tells them, hey, listen, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I don't want you to be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I will come again, and I will receive you unto myself. And I find great joy in that. Great joy in that. And the fact is, when we look on forward through this church age, which was what we believe, a parenthesis in time, and God's dealing with the nation of Israel, a parenthesis, this church age, the age of grace, it will end with the rapture where he catches us up. You say, where's rapture in the Bible? You look down and or write down 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16 and 17. You see those words, the idea is found in the words caught up, snatched away with the trump of God, 
We also see that he talks about a second coming where he actually comes down to earth. We see here that he is in the clouds. He calls us away with the trump of God. He calls us away. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain get to go up together. I hope it happens in my lifetime. I'd really like to feel the jolt of that. And uh, that's going to be amazing, more amazing than any car that people are creating, zero to 60 in four seconds, whatever. It's going to be amazing. In the twinkling of an eye, in the glimmer of an eye, we're going to be with him and we're going to be changed, right? What an amazing thing that's going to be. And then ensues the darkest days in our world. The tribulation. Ah, for a little bit, it's going to seem like it's all going well as the Antichrist steps on the scene. He has the He has the solution to all the world's problems. Don't you see how our world is very, very much set up to receive a man like that right now? Give us a a few more months, give us another year, and to realize unless God providentially steps in and stays time and tarries his coming, don't you see how easy it would for uh, uh, the world to be completely ready to accept one man who will stand up and take care of all the world's issues? What a day that's going to be when God judges the world. And you can read about that throughout the book of of Revelation, the the horrible judgments that will come upon the world. Horrible. Be ended as all the nations of the world go up against what? Israel. Isn't that any surprise? They hate them them right now. They're going to hate them then. They've, They've hated them for centuries. They're all going to come up against China, Russia, Iran, all these nations, all the nations of the world gathering in the, and for the battle of Armageddon. And at that point, at that point when it seems like there is no salvation, Jesus Christ is going to split open the heavens and he's going to come charging back with all of his saints behind him. He's going to come as, what does the Bible say? Written on the side, does anyone remember? Written on his vesture? Yeah, what else? Faithful and true. Faithful and true. What a, what a Lord. And with one word of his mouth, he's going to destroy all the armies of the world. All of them. Friends, I'm looking forward to that day from the vantage point behind Jesus, not, not being on the ground. On the ground, it's going to be, the Bible says, the blood is going to flow in that valley up to the horse's bridle severe, severe defeat for the world leaders. And we, uh, we wonder right now, you know, when is God going to have victory over them? And the victory's coming. The victory's coming. But I'm grateful we'll not have to be here for when he judges the whole earth. I believe in the rapture. I believe that the rapture happens ahead of the tribulation. And I believe after the tribulation, Jesus Christ is going to come again. He's going to set up his uh, thousand-year rule and he is going to rule this world with a rod of iron. And then after that, there will be the, the burning up. There will be the burning up of this world, and a new, uh, new heaven and a new earth will be created, and we'll be forever with the Lord and the, uh, together in his presence. What an amazing thing that we are looking forward to. And I just share all that tonight. That he tells this church, and he tells us tonight, you don't have to go through that. I'll keep you from the hour of wrath. I'll keep you from that time of wrath. And what a, what a consolation that is to us. What a motivation to serve such a wonderful, wonderful Lord. But I want us to notice in verses 11 through 13, Christ doesn't leave it here in commending their faithfulness and showing his faithfulness to them. He calls them to continued faithfulness. And he calls us to the same thing today. 
He calls you to be faithful this week. He calls uh, our children and our teens and our, our young adults and our, 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 our mature adults, those that don't yet, uh, don't yet uh, claim to be old, right? Uh, he calls all of us to be faithful to him. And he says this is motivated and should be motivated by his coming. Look at verse 11. Behold, I come quickly. Let's say that. Behold, I come quickly. And think about that. At the, the last chapter of the, of the Bible, we hear Jesus say that three times. He says it over and over to us. Behold, I come quickly. Reality, time is moving faster and faster for me, and I'm sure it is for you. Uh, time, I guess, isn't moving faster. It's just my perception of time, right? But it, it really is. Uh, time is just slipping by. I, I feel like I, I remember being young, and, and it just seems like it's going so very quickly. This, this thing that Jesus says, behold, I come quickly, certainly it's true. Life is fleeting, and he is coming quickly. And we need to be reminded of that. And, and because he's coming quickly, he tells them, hold fast, be faithful to that which thou hast. Uh, be faithful to what I've given you to do. Be faithful to what I've given you uh, to steward in this life. The Bible tells us in 1 John 3 and verse number 3 that every man that has this hope of his soon return, every man that has this hope purifieth himself even as he is pure. Be faithful to be growing in holiness and growing in truthfulness. The Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But he's long-suffering to us, word, and is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Be faithful. Use this time to bring as many into the kingdom as you can. Be faithful. Be faithful. Uh, know that you're working on, 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 on time that's so very short. He told his disciples in John 9 and verse number 4 that he, Jesus, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Oh, there's a time where we won't be able to witness anymore. That time will be past. Uh, there's coming a time where we won't be able to grow more in Christ's likeness. That time will be past. We'll be in his presence. Right now is the time to be faithful to him. Right now is the time to be motivated by his coming. He told his disciples in Mark 13, 35, Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning. You don't know, so watch. Be on guard. Be motivated by it. Our master's coming. Be faithful. Be faithful. And what happens if you would come this week? Will we be found faithful? The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse number 1, we think that, oh, I have all these things that I need to do in life. No, he brings it, he brings it down. He says, I've, I've given you something. Philadelphia, I've given you something. Stay true. Keep what thou hast. Keep what I've given you. Keep what I've placed in your control or in your stewardship. And remember this, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. We get so spread out, right? I got to do this. I got to do this. No, we got to be faithful. That's not a slack. If we're being faithful, we'll be doing exactly what the Lord wants us to do each and every day, and how important that that is. Moreover, it is required in stewards that be found faithful. So they were to be motivated by his coming. But notice, he says, and at my coming, I'll reward you. When I come, I'll reward you. And notice these rewards. I'm going to first reward you with a crown. He says in verse number 11, uh, keep what thou hast. Stay faithful to what I've given you to do, that no man take thy crown. 
that no man by force take thy crown, that no man subverts you and get you off in things that God has not called you to do. Stay focused so that you can receive the crown when you stand before me. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the works that are done in our body, whether they, they be good or bad. Uh, we're going to all stand there and watch the, the fire of God's eyes to ignite our works and to see whether they're wood, hay, or stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stones. Works that were motivated for his glory or works that were motivated for our self-glory. And he tells, tells his disciples by way of parable and by way of story that the highest commendation that Jesus Christ can give to you and I is to be able to look at us when we enter into his glory and look at us and be able to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Do you want to hear those words? I do. If you're like me, boy, I, I look at my own life and I go, man, I hope. I want to. It's my goal. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Oh, what a joy that will be to hear from Jesus. What a joy it would be to see, uh, look, uh, see him look us in the eyes and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Oh, he will reward them with a crown, but he will reward at his coming with a place. Notice verse number 12. He that overcometh will I make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. Secured. Set. In his home. Now I think about going to heaven, and it's sounding sweeter all the time, isn't it? That's not a cliche. It's sounding sweeter all the time. This world is crazy. <laughs> this, world is, this world has gone mad. I look forward to being in heaven with him. And what a blessedness that it is going to be to be at home and to be there for good. Uh, there's nothing like home. How many of you like your mattress? How many of you got one of those purple mattresses or something like that? Did anyone have one of those? It hasn't crept into our church yet. Maybe you have a, a foam topper or a pillow top or something like that. Maybe you say, my mattress stinks. You know, it just rots. It's not, it's not comfortable at all. Uh, but you know, there's nothing like getting back home to yours. Now, I've, I've stayed in places with my wife. We go into a, we go into a guest, uh, guest house and there's two separate beds. You know, I like getting back home to one bed. <laughs> you know, I, I, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, there's nothing like home. It's, it's special. But you know what? For the believer, there's nothing like home. And there's nothing like stepping there and, and being there for good. Now, Jesus told his disciples, I, I'm going to prepare this place for you. And my point in doing that is that where I am, there ye may be also. That you might stay there and dwell there and be at home there. That's my point. And that's what we look forward to. Whatever else this pillar here in this passage of Scripture, verse number 12, means, it, it, it carries the idea of, of strength, of, of honor, of permanent security in the temple of our God. He shall never leave this place of safety and of joy. And I think that's probably one of the, the great joys of heaven uh, just behind uh, it being the place where we're in the presence of God, where we see his face, where we see him face to face, is the fact that we don't ever have to leave. It's eternal. 
It's secure. I love this song that's often sung at funerals, and really, uh, Brother Huey, maybe we should sing this song sometime, finally home, just in a service. But just think of stepping on shore and finding it heaven, of touching a hand and finding it God's, of breathing new air without allergies and finding it celestial, of waking up in glory and finding it, do you remember? Home. Home. At home with God. What a blessed, what a blessed reward. And we look forward to that. And he's telling the church of Philadelphia, listen, this is, this is why I'm asking you to be faithful. Because that's what's awaiting you. That's what you get. You're not working for this. This has already been achieved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But be faithful. This is what's awaiting you. And then he says, lastly, he says, I'm going to reward you with a new name, with my own identity, not just with my, my, a crown, a reward for me, not just with a, my home, but a new identity in that place. Look at verse number 12. And I will write upon him the name of my God. In this culture, whether it's a shirt or a pair of shoes or a purse, people like brandishing brands. Like, look, look at this. Look at this, what I have. Look at these shoes. I, I paid $150 for them, and I'm walking all over dirty ground with them. You know what I mean? Yeah, look at what I have on. And they brandish that. Why? Because they want to be identified as something, either as well-to-do, or identified with a certain movement, uh, a trend, or just have a certain status. But you know what Jesus is saying to you and me? He's saying, be faithful, because in that place you'll be identified with my Father. What an identity. What a blessed identity. I'll write my name, uh, the name of my God upon you, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, you're not just going to have the name of the Heavenly Father upon you, but you're going to be branded, you're going to be identified with a certain place, that of New Jerusalem. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. What are we looking for? We're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. It's a nice thing to be able to pull out your, pull out your wallet in and, 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 and another state and say, well, this is, this is where I belong. This is where my home is. I, I'm a resident. Sometimes people take great pride in what state they're a resident of, especially when you're talking about Michigan and, and Ohio. Great pride in what state you're a part of. But you know what? Greater to be a part and to be identified with the city of New Jerusalem. That's a reward. That's what we have to look forward to. That's why we ought to be faithful. That's why we ought to keep on pressing on. But not just those on, on those names and those identifications with the Father and with New Jerusalem, but he says, I'm going to give you my own name. You're going to be identified as one of mine. You're going to be identified with me. And boy, I want to be identified with Jesus Christ, my Savior. Wow. Seems like we ought to be faithful. Seems like we ought to keep on pressing on. This is what we have to look forward to. Jesus doesn't say, you know, heaven's going to be a drone. You know, it's just going to be a, you know, a bum deal. No, this is going to be the most wonderful thing in all the world to be a part of. We're going to be there in that place having received the rewards from our labor for the Lord Jesus Christ, received the, the security of that place. You're at home forever and ever and ever. And when you get through with all the forevers, as one man said, then amen. I mean, just you can't, you can't get past the forevers. It's eternity, infinite. And there with his identity. Oh, we ought to be faithful. This church gives us a good example of what a faithful church is. The one that pressed on and Jesus commended them. 
Not, and he didn't come to them and say, I know your works and you're really off in these areas. No, you've been faithful. Does this mean they were a perfect church? No, but they were faithful. They were faithful. Revelation 3 and verse 13 says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. What's Jesus telling us again? Listen, you have a spiritual ear. You have a spiritual understanding. Take this to heart. Be faithful. Be faithful. This church had been faithful, and there is, is said that still to this day, there's the impact of Christianity in this area. Boy, we, we would like to see God uh, make our impact last in this city for years and years and years. May the impact of Grace Baptist Church live on well beyond, well beyond us. I trust that we'll be here till the Lord comes. But what an impact we can have as we are faithful to the Lord. John Quincy Adams was our sixth president. He's intrigued me recently. I've been listening to, I've uh, shared this with Brother Steve, I've been listening to a lot of history uh, podcasts and so forth, but this was recently dubbed with another historian that, that I had heard. And, um, John Quincy Adams, as the sixth president of the United States, was a, was a person who loved, loved the Lord. Uh, there were times where he veered from that and uh, but Scripture brought him back. And I, I want to I share with you tonight just kind of a, 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 uh, an example of what it is to be faithful and how it can impact not just, not just in the gospel, and it does and we need to, how it can impact in, in every area of our life, being faithful to Jesus Christ no matter what. He was a brilliant lawyer, a statesman. Uh, he knew the importance of permanent principles, moral absolutes as revealed in God's Word. And, uh, and how those affect the uh, human heart. He expressed it in this way, and I quote, the laws of nature and of nature's God, and of course pre, um, presupposes the existence of God, the moral ruler of the universe, and a rule of right and wrong, of just and unjust, binding upon man, preceding all institutions of human society and of government. Through this worldview, Adams understood that the truth that all of human life is sacred and it is an, an inherent gift from God. Inherent values because it is, it is made in the image of God. And knowing that truth, he fought to the end the institution of slavery in particular throughout his life. Even as serving, uh, after serving as president, uh, he ran for Congress and continued the fight there until the day of his death. He never attained the goal of ending slavery in his lifetime. This, this, uh, this really interests me. Uh, when he, he was asked this question, why he persevered in the face of ever-present hostile opposition to his goal to, uh, to make the, the truth that all life is from God, it's a gift from God, and men should be free in that way, and there shouldn't be slavery. Uh, when he was asked, why do you continue to go forward in the face of all this opposition and this hostile opposition? He said this, duty is ours, results are God's. Duty is ours, results are God's. What was he saying? It's my job to be faithful and leave the results up to him. Well, there was a young man that entered Congress and, uh, and was very intrigued, found that there was a lot of things that he and John Quincy Adams agreed on. And John Quincy Adams brought this young man under his wing and began to, uh, to kind of uh, encourage him and help him. 
And as he was in the, uh, in the Congress with them, uh, for three months in the 30th Congress, together they shared the common goal of ending slavery. Well, Adams dies, do you remember? Maybe if you have looked into history, where did Adams actually die? He died at, uh, on the floor of the house. It was a pretty interesting thing. February 23rd, which I, I, I didn't reconcile that with my birth date until right now, uh, 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 February 23rd, uh, 1848. And uh, this, this young congressman that, that had been you know, coming along with him actually served on his funeral committee and, and, and the committee of, of honoring John Quincy Adams. And uh, what was interesting is much of the work that John Quincy Adams had worked on in his lifetime and had been severely opposed and really uh, he had gathered so much uh, work and, and, and uh, made so much preparation for the ending of slavery, but had not been able to see it. This young man, and do you have a guess who this young man is? Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln was able to take everything that John Quincy Adams had put together and they had worked on together and they had consulted on together, and he was able to see the goal of John Quincy Adams actually achieved in the ending of slavery. Now, how this moves me is this fact. You and I do not know what my faithfulness, what our faithfulness today, how that's going to impact the future and future generations. And there are times where we say, you know, what's the use? And people might ask us, what's the use? But if we'll have the same resolve, duty is ours, uh, it's, uh, it got, uh, the results are God's. Those belong to him. It's my job to be faithful. I'll leave the results up to him. If we will have that same perspective, who knows what God can do with our faithfulness? What an amazing, what an amazing story. And if you go back and research that a little bit more, two years later, invoking the favor of Almighty God, uh, Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. What an amazing what an amazing thing that happened as one man was faithful no matter what the results were. And could I encourage you, as Jesus encouraged the church there at Philadelphia, be faithful. Be faithful. What is God calling on you to do now? What's God calling on you to do tomorrow? You know, he, he, he tells us to be growing in our holiness and in our truthfulness. Let's be faithful to that. He commands us to witness. Let's be faithful in that. He commands us to love one another. Let's be faithful to that. He commands us to gather together. Let's be faithful in that. Let's lift up his name in this community. Let's be faithful to that. Let's be faithful in praying and watching and praying. Let's be faithful. Let's be faithful to our Lord, knowing that there's a generation following after us that can pick up where we have left off and continue on and be set up for success in a greater way. And let's ask the Lord to help us with that tonight, would we? Father, we do ask you to help us as your church to be faithful thank you for the the example of the church of philadelphia who was faithful to you lord so much so that you didn't have to reprove them that's amazing lord i i would like i'd like us to be able to have that same that same story and uh lord i'd love to be able to i'd love to be able to grow in that way as a church family and grow personally in that way. So I ask that you would help us tonight. And as we would just take some time, Lord, to, to bow before you and, and seek you about this matter, I pray that you would touch our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed,
could I ask you to pray? Maybe you've gotten discouraged. Maybe you've asked yourself, what's the use? God asks us to be faithful. Uh, there's people that are opposing us, and God asks us to be faithful. Would you there in your seat, maybe get on your knees or bow before the Lord and just ask Him, Lord, I want to be faithful. I want to be like this church. And I feel like I have a little strength like you told them they have. I need your grace to be faithful this week. Maybe you have something that you're facing this week. It's going to take, take some grit. It's going to take some resolve in your life. Ask the Lord for grace to be faithful. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.